Welcome to the Women Living Well After 50 podcast. I'm Sulon Carrick and I'm passionate about inspiring, motivating, supporting and informing women over 50 to embrace this exciting time of life. Health and wellness in mind, body and spirit are the foundations for living well, but there is so much more to a life well lived. Each week through conversations with my guests, I'll be presenting topics that will help us all to live well and enjoy life. So join me as we discover new ways to become women living well after 50. Are you ready to start living? What are you waiting for? Let's get started. Welcome to the Women Living Well After 50 podcast. I'm Sulon Carrick and it's lovely to have you join me. Finding courage to change and follow your passion. That's the topic we're going to be discussing today. And my guest today is Joanne Tracy, an Australian author of contemporary women's fiction and cosy culinary mysteries, inspired by her travels, a love of baking and her devotion to British cosy crime TV shows. Based on the Sunshine Coast in southeast Queensland, Jo is an unapologetic daydreamer, eternal optimist and confirmed morning person. When she isn't writing, Jo loves baking, reading, long walks along the beach, posting her way too many photos of sunrises on Instagram and dreaming of the next destination and the next story. Jo's life goals, apart from being a world famous author, are to be an extra on Midsummer Murders and to cook her way through Nigella's books. Today, I'm going to be talking to Jo about finding the courage to change. Jo has recently made some changes in her life to follow her passion and it takes courage to make changes as we all know. So let's go and join the conversation and hear Jo's story. Welcome Joanne Tracy to the Women Living Well After 50 podcast. It's lovely to have you join me. Thank you very much for asking me. It's a pleasure to be here Sue. It is. And we are friends, which is great. So we're going to have a lovely conversation today, as well as um, hopefully giving out some messages to other women about finding courage to change and to follow our passion, because it's not an easy thing to do. Um, There's lots of things involved and especially up here in our head, you know, the little voice that's saying, oh, I don't think you can do this or should I do this or whatever. So you've recently gone through some changes and uh, you are following your passion full time now. So I'm excited to talk to you about that and, you know, how you felt and what you um, what you are doing. So I want to start off first with by asking you as an author, we're going back before your changes here. As an author, how tough was it to have a full-time job and still follow your passion for writing? Because that really is what you wanted to do. It's actually an interesting question, that one, because on the surface it sounds really tough. And I think looking back, it should have been really tough and it was really tough. But the point was I wanted to do it. So there was no perfect time to do it. So if that meant that I was writing when Sarah was still at school, I remember writing um, beside the pool while she was doing squad swimming before or after work. I remember 
writing at lunch hours when I was in the office. Um, I remember writing in the school staff room when she was having maths tuition after school. I remember doing all of that, writing in airports, um, anywhere that I possibly could, just because it was what I wanted to do. It was not a, I need to take some time out to do this. It was just, I want to do it. So mm. that's really what I did. Um, mm. I know some people would say to me, oh, you know, you get through so much and you're so busy and all the rest of it, but that didn't really matter so much as in I knew there were things I had to do with a day job. Um, I had to do them or I wouldn't get paid. But once I got them done, the things I didn't want to do, I could then do the things that I wanted to do. And that was more important to me. So it was worth being busy to do that in. So, yeah, looking back, I guess it was tough. But at the same time, it gave me deadlines that pushed me to get things done that I may not have otherwise done if I'd had a day to sit and do it in. Mm-hmm. And while you were, you know, with your answer there, I was a couple of points came to my mind. Firstly, that saying of if you want something done, give it to a busy person, because, uh, you know, we always admired you, Joe, um, in our little circle of friendship in the fact that you could do your day job and yet be writing these fabulous books, which we will get to a little bit later. But, um, you know, trying to do all that. Uh, so obviously you did um, sort of structure things a little bit there and, and take opportunities. And the other point that you sort of came to me when you were talking then was that you actually made the decision to put yourself and your passion first. You, or, or you know, using it in like now, Sarah's at swimming and I'm sitting here. Now I could just be sitting here watching her or I could actually utilise that time for me and do something that I wanted to do. And I I don't think that people think about time that way. You know, they probably think, oh, okay, I've got to take my child or my grandchild to there and then I've got to be present looking at them all the time. Whereas you looked for opportunities to bring your passion in and to do that even though you couldn't do it full time. Yeah, and I think that was probably the key to it because at the same time I was doing what I needed to do for Sarah, I was doing what I needed to do for Grant. So all of that was still being taken care of. There was no problem with that being taken care of. It's just that I was choosing to use that time in other ways for me. And Mm. if it meant that a house needed a vacuum or whatever, well, who cares? That's right. So, um, you know, life's too short to, and I guess that's probably what my my whole thing was. I was so frightened of missing out and not doing what I really wanted to do that I had to push myself. So, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't want to, if if the worst happened, I didn't want to sit there and say, well, at least the floor was clean. But <laughs> well, that's right. We want that on our tombstone, don't we? Well, you know, it was clean. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get to do anything else with my life, or really do what I wanted to do. But at least the floor was clean. Oh, yeah, God. I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, 
but yeah, I just admire that you you had that attitude because a lot of us would go, oh, well, you know, I really want to do it, but I can't fit it in or uh, it's going to take me away from my family or things like that. I can't put myself first. So I think you found a happy medium there that you were able uh, to. There was, there was a happy with. medium. And there, were, there were times where I was um, stupidly, stupidly busy. And I get that. Like I remember finishing off a book um sitting at the airport waiting to go to Hong Kong to do a relocation, office relocation. And I remember even last year before I finished work, I was doing an office relocation down in Brisbane. And so I'd lug around two computers the whole time so that when I was on the train heading down to Brisbane, that's two hours free writing time. So I can either sit on the train and look out at not very much, or I can sit on the train and back out a story um, mm. or any words were good words. And that's the whole point when you've got a passion about something, whether it's writing, whether it's art, whether it's anything, really, there's no perfect time to do it. Um, and if you wait for the muse to hit, and, and a lot of people will say things like that, oh, you know, what about if the muse doesn't come? Well, the muse has got no choice but to turn up, really, because <laughs> this is the time that I've got available. So I'm using this time whether or not that muse turns up or not, and sometimes she does and sometimes she doesn't. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, that's um, that's the way to do it. It's just that, I, I, as I think, some people just don't. But also I would think sometimes uh, it's hard to turn on that creativity, but I suppose once you get into a book, it's easier to, you know, start saying, oh, okay, I know where I'm up to or where I'm going with this. I'll quickly get this done on the train or wherever. Yeah. So... We talked about your day job and now recently you've um, made some changes and you're now actually writing full time, which is congratulations to you for taking that step. So how did that feel? Because I think, again, you're going from a full time job with um, the security of finances, uh, you know, your mental well-being, security, you don't have to worry about, you know, what you're doing. You don't have to worry about anything. Someone's paying you to do your job. How did you feel once you had made that decision and you've you've gone down a new path? Uh, the first word was scared. <laughs> so I've been working forever and I've had, a, you know, I've had a, stressful job forever so yeah the first word was scared so and I think from as long as I've been writing I've been dreaming about being able to do it full time but I've also been dreaming of financial independence and I'm mm. certainly not there yet in terms of writing I'm a long way from that so um, I think it's probably been fortunate that I have worked as long and as hard and we have done what we've needed to do as terms of money management to enable me to still do what I want to be doing now. But to walk away from something that was secure, that I knew, as you say, I knew what I was doing. I had a structure. I knew that every day by X time I would be logging on, I would be logging off at a certain time, I would be doing who knows what in the middle of all of that. But I knew that it was happening and that every fortnight there'd be a certain amount of money turn up into my account. So to walk away from that was scary, but at the same time, really, really freeing. In fact, um, I was talking to an ex-colleague only yesterday who was finishing up 
um, in the job yesterday, in his job. And he said to me, how did you feel when you walked away? Like, was it surreal? And I said, yeah, it was completely surreal because my job was in Sydney. I live on the Sunshine Coast. I'd gone back to Sydney to hand my computer back and to hand my job over. And I'd booked a night in a motel or in a hotel that particular night before I flew back home again, only because I really didn't fancy getting straight on a plane and and all the rest of it that went with it. And it was so good that I did do that because I went back to that hotel and even though there was nobody there, there was nobody there I could push off against or any of the rest of it, bought myself a glass of champagne and I sat down and I said, okay, that's it. It's done. It's over. It's the right time. No grieving, no bitterness, no anything. Right time. Let's see what's next. Mm -hmm. So it was a really good full stop. It was the right time to be doing it in. Um, it just, and again, there's no right time. So no, no. sometimes yeah. you've got to take that leap of faith and just, you do. Yeah. yeah. And, and not without planning, I suppose, you know, but uh, obviously yeah. that's going to, things are going to work out a little bit better yeah. if you've got a plan, uh, which is not unlike um, when you retire, you know, like someone like myself that was in a career for so many years and I retired at 57 and, you know, within six, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great, you know, I'm going to have lots to do and I didn't really have a passion I was going to follow. It was just circumstances came and I retired and within six months I was thinking oh you know what am I going to do for the rest of my life so that's you know when I started to think about it but I think having that plan in place before or an idea of what you want to do makes it that little bit easier because I did want to ask you you were talking about how your days were structured and, you know, we get up, we go to work or we go online, you know, we we have that structure when we're in a working um, environment or even at home, you know, if you're looking after family or whatever, you've got a structure in place. When you finished your job, you had all this time. How did that affect you and, and how did you get into some sort of a routine to structure this new life that you have? And that is a good question. Um, I'm not a structured person by nature. So it's it's definitely a learned behavior for me. And yet you were a wonderful project manager, oh, yeah, which needs to be organized yeah. and structured. It's absolutely learned behavior. It really does show that. Yeah, it is totally learned behavior because I when I write, I'm a pantser. I fly by the seat of my pants. Um but I can't live life like that. <laughs> we no. need boundaries and we need some structures. So um, we, thankfully, I'd booked a holiday for as soon as I finished work. So we went to Vietnam for a couple of weeks and that allowed me to decompress. And then I gave myself up until Christmas. So I think it was a period of about six weeks to, we had a lot of visitors in and out. And I thought, no, for six weeks, I'm actually going to, just let myself lean into whatever it is that needs to be done. Last year was a very, very stressful year. Well, you lived through most of it with me while I was doing a couple of couple of jobs at the same time as well as trying to write. And um, I needed, I think, that decompression to 
to wake in the morning and know that when I turned the emails on, I wasn't going to get that drop in the pit of the stomach as to what's happened overnight or all of those awful tummy rolling, tummy rolling, stressy things that go along with that sort of job. But what I've done since is I've actually started working my author day job as a day job. So mm-hmm. I'm logging on at, I'm keeping to exactly the same routine that I had when I was at work. So get up at 4.30, we go for a walk at five o'clock, back by half six, at my desk by eight, work through to 12 and and have a break for lunch and then continue for another few hours in the afternoon. So I'm structuring my day in almost exactly the same way that I did when I was in the day job. The only difference is now I'm writing and I'm doing some other bits and pieces. So what I'm doing, um, I'm literally doing the to-do list the same as I did every single morning. So what mm-hmm. am I doing today? Um, so this morning I've got this time booked in with you. After that, I'll be sitting down and I'll write for three hours. Then I know this afternoon I've got scheduled in. There's um, a little online tutorial that I found about digital art for marketing purposes. So I'll sit down and I'll do that for an hour. So I'm trying to spend my afternoons doing some of those educational type of things because I'm really bad at marketing. and I need to learn how to be better at it. So that's the way that I'm structuring my day. Work for a certain amount of time. And as I get closer to deadlines, sometimes that's a bit longer. Sometimes I might need to write for five hours to get those words out for the day. But that's how I'm structuring it, exactly the same as I did in a day job. So, mm. and that's the biggest challenge I found, people's attitude to this new, I'm calling it a new job, um, to my new role, as opposed to, how's retirement going, Joe? Well, actually, I'm not retired. Or, hey, I thought we might go have lunch on Tuesday. Are you free for lunch on Tuesday? Well, actually, no, I'm not. I'm working. Yeah, but you're not really working, are you? Well, I thought I am, you know? Um, And that's something that I have to learn not to apologise for, and that's something that I have to learn to put my foot down and be a little firmer about um, just in terms of, this is my job now. This is the way I structure my day now. And I have to mm. have it structured or I will do nothing because I know exactly what I am like. <laughs> mm, mm. And that was something I was going to ask you about how you, you know, sort of react um, to those, I call them naysayers, but people yeah. who just think you're writing, oh, how's your hobby going yeah. when it's actually your career? And I think the fact that, you know, I think first and foremost, you have to take yourself seriously. You have Mm. to say, I am serious about what I'm doing here. This isn't just a little hobby that I'm doing. This is a passion and I'm serious about it. And I think that once you sort of can broadcast that fact to people, they get it in their mind and they go, oh, okay. Uh, Like, yeah, well, we better check when Joe's free because she's working rather than, oh, yeah, Joe, how about we go for morning tea or let's grab yeah. a coffee or let's do this and that. Or you don't have to worry about that today. You can take the day off. So yeah. I think you would have to have courage in the strength and strength to say to people, hey, I'm serious about this. This is important to me and this is what I'm doing. And it's not just a little side thing. It's my job and it it actually is hard work believe it or not wrangling words so um 
you you sort of think it should be easy and and it should be easy but it's not like you I don't think it's easy I finish the day where my brain I think because when I'm writing a book and I mentioned before I am a pantser and we can talk about that a little bit later but when I'm writing a book I'm living in my head I'm living through that character whatever it is that those characters are doing whatever struggles they've got sometimes they're hard to get to know and I've got to get to know them so you're living all of that in your head and at the end of the day there are times where I want to sit and do nothing the same as what I did after a mental day in the day job I'm Mm. using my brain still I'm just using it in a completely different way I'm using a different side of it so it's it's one of those things but I was chatting to I do a I think called Writing Fridays every first and third Friday of each month where I volunteer for Queensland Writer Centre and we we do a writing group um, over at Maruchi Door Library. Works really well for me because I get to bake. Hello, I love baking. And the second part is I get to write. So all I have to do is run what we call a Pomodoro timer. So um, we write for 25 minutes, break for five, write for another 25 and repeat that process. And I've just got to be a little bit tough and crack the rip occasionally if people talk too much in the breaks um Mm. but I was chatting to another participant there and he is I would say a real author but then I'm a real author now hello I've got 12 books out there so I'm a real author as well but Mm. he um he's sold hundreds of thousands of copies of books he writes different worlds and it is it is he is financially independent from his books. He's very, very successful. Um, but I said to him, do you still get that? Do you still get that whole, but this isn't really your job? You know, you're at home. Why aren't you looking after the kids for your wife? And and he said, he said, I still get it to this day. He said, so what I've had to do is he goes and works at one of those co-working places, Um And he's got a spot, one of those. And he said, three mornings a week, I'll go and do that just so that I'm out of the house. I'm getting dressed. I'm packing a lunch. I'm going out of the house and I'm doing it as if I was going to a job because I would get exactly the same. Oh, you can come and help out at school because you don't have a job. Well, I do have a job. Mm. 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 And Mm. if I don't do this, I'm not going to get the mortgage paid. So... It's not just resigned to somebody my age who is at retirement or almost at retirement age, um, retiring from the corporate role. It is writers full stop. And I think any artistic type of endeavour. Yes, I think that people, well, perhaps it's changing, attitudes are changing a little bit, but uh, it is still that, as you said, any creative field is usually just viewed as a hobby rather than unless of course you get to the heights of you know the the different um areas you know like a, an artist or you know a performer or something and you and you you really reach those next heights um maybe even then you know people might start taking you seriously but it is that um feeling and also that could probably play with your um feeling of self-worth and you know, validation uh, because people are questioning or not putting the same um, respect, for want of a better word, on what you're doing. It could, if they're constantly, you know, saying, oh, 
you know, come and do this or you don't have to do that or not taking you seriously, that can play with your mental uh, health as well, can't it? And you start second guessing yourself and doubting yourself, I would think. Uh, you certainly do. And I think um, that's a big adjustment too from the corporate environment. So in the corporate environment, you have a title, somebody pays you every two weeks, you have immediate feedback. So, and it's immediate external feedback. Well, generally speaking, you it's if you haven't done it right, you'll get certainly get immediate external feedback. But it's that feedback is there and that external validation that what you're doing means something or should mean something to that particular company or to somebody else. But when you're doing something like this, the validation that you get has to come within from within. You can't expect anybody else to give it to you. And what we're doing, and especially when you're writing a novel, so it can take, like, for example, the book I'm putting out in April. Now, I wrote that ridiculously quickly, stupidly quickly. I think I wrote the first draft in about six weeks. But even Can I so, get you to hold that thought for a moment? Yeah. Because I've been one of the fortunate few to read that book as an advanced copy you should be writing it everything in six weeks because it was fabulous. <laughs> and people are in, I, I tell you, listeners, you are in for a treat when the book comes out because um, when you told me that, I thought, no way. Uh, but And then I thought, well, there's your, there's your um, answer, Joe. Write every book in six weeks. Well, thank you very much. And you've just given me some validation as well, which otherwise I would have to wait until it gets published for that. And that's probably the point. You can, you, you, you're writing in isolation and you're working in isolation with no validation from anybody else until that book comes out or until it goes through the editing process at the earliest. Mm. So mm. you have to rely on your own. If you waited for somebody to say and pat you on the head and say, oh, that's great, you're doing wonderfully well, you'd be waiting a long time. So you have to rely on your own, I guess, resilience to a degree um, and the validation you're getting is from your own work and you have to do that or find mm -hmm. other ways to get an immediate feedback. So, and that's one of the reasons that I do bake as well. It's one of the reasons I've always done that aside from the fact that it relaxes me, the whole measuring and weighing and planning and methodical work relaxes me and, and quietens my brain. You're getting an immediate result, which is mm -hmm. something that I don't, normally get in, your work. in yeah. my work yeah. but mm. that's what I've sort of found you can't rely on other people to do that for you you've got to find something within yourself or a hobby I call it another hobby or an interest or something from within yourself whether it's going for a run going for a walk having a swim baking something doing something that gives you that feeling of validation that you're not getting from being in a role with somebody else giving it to you mm, mm. which probably and, makes no sense at all but that's the way no I no it does it does and and that's what coming back I'm just thinking all the time you know we're talking about you being an author and and some people might go well I'm not an author and I'm not going to be but everything we're talking about comes back to anything that we do in life it's yep. having the courage to do things, having the self-belief, you know, finding that validation, finding the resilience to go against people who, you know, um, 
of trying to pull you down. So what we're talking about today really translates to any part of life, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It certainly does. There's um, somebody I follow on Instagram, I can't think of the name of them now, but she's she decided she wanted to run and she never run before and she decided she wanted to run and it's been a struggle, like watching her go through it. And it it applies to even something like that. So mm. it's it applies to every sort of way of life. You can't wait for people to tap you on the head and say, oh, you're doing so well. You've got to know it yourself. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you've got to have that self-belief and also acknowledge your wins as you go along. You know, like for you, it might be, oh, the number of words you did or uh, you finished a chapter or something like that because all these small steps that we're taking lead up to the big result and a lot of people just keep their eye looking forward on the end instead of appreciating everything along the way and you'd probably have some learnings from these little wins and the times that things don't probably go the way you want them to. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of times things don't go the way they want them to. Um, characters don't behave the way they that you want them to. And I've learned, I've learned over the last, especially the last few years, that if I'm struck, if I'm stuck in a book, it's because I want it to go in one way, and the characters don't want it to go in another. Um, mm. So I've, I'm learning these days just to go with that particular flow. And see where it leads me so mm. and I would think that getting back to your um the writers group makes me think about how I always say we should surround yourself with cheerleaders or like-minded people because they get it they yeah. get you now you know our little group our friendship group we're your cheerleaders we're each other's cheerleaders and that's that just means the world to us all, I know. But also doing it, uh, things and spending time with people who are doing the same sort of thing as you, I think is important because you don't feel quite so alone and they're going through the same sort of situation so you can support each other. It's absolutely essential because um, they are the only people who understand. It's the same as people who've been on reality TV shows together. So the only people who've understood can understand it and there's other people who have done it at the same time. So whatever the endeavour is, if you can find, and I hate the word tribe, but essentially that's oh, yeah. what it is. If you can find your group of people who are doing the same thing, it makes you feel so much less alone. And I know looking at our group, so I write cosy crime with a little bit of romance sometimes, sometimes more romance than other times, depends on how I'm feeling. But in our group, we have a sci-fi writer, we have a children's book writer, we have a business writer, we have um, somebody writing a book about uh, perimenopause, we have a world builder, we have a romance writer, we have um, someone who writes fantasy romance, like with, um, I think it's werewolves or something in it. So we've got... And and there's another person in there that's doing what they call fanfic or fan fiction, where they're inventing other Harry Potter worlds. So everybody's writing something completely different. Everybody is writing something completely different. And the beauty of it is nobody judges what anybody else is doing. Nobody judges how anybody else works. 
Some people write the way that I do, completely without a plan, without an outline. Other people will have a plot and an outline. They know exactly what they're going to be writing that day. There's a couple of people that um, handwrite before they write. Um, so everybody writes differently. Everybody writes different work, yet nobody judges anybody else for what it is that we're doing, and we all get the same issues with each other. So... Mm. It's, it's and yeah give it like it as I said you know I, I volunteer to do it but it's one of the best things I've done yeah and I think that judgment I mean judgment just comes from ignorance doesn't it I mean people would that that are going to be judging either aren't capable of doing I mean I know myself, I don't think I could write a book. I think I admire people who can, even, you know, books that I read sometimes and I think, you know what, that I didn't enjoy that or it wasn't a great writing. And then I sit back and I go, well, they've written it, they've put the time in, they've actually produced something and I don't think I could do that. So it's all right to be a an armchair critic or, a you know, a judger on the side, but that's only because we don't really understand what it takes to get that book in this case a book out um as you've said there's not just the writing of it and the character development and the ideas and it's it's the marketing it's the you, all these other things that you have to be so really it is a business i mean you've still got your marketing to do you've got your advertising you've got your you know the work of producing the book and and so um i think people lose sight of that sometimes and they're quick to judge if a book's not good or not, rather than um, actually admiring the person for for doing that. And uh, I do think that judgment comes a lot of the time from ignorance or people who wouldn't try to do it themselves are very good at judging other oh, people and what they do. Fabulous at it. Absolutely fabulous at it. And I mean, and the whole point is every every book has its own, will find its own audience as well. Uh, yes. We all like different things in life and and thankfully we all like different things in life. But yes, no, people who have never done it before are certainly very, very good at telling you what you should be doing and <laughs> telling you what you shouldn't be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, that's where your self belief. Sorry, part of life. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's uh, and again, anything we do, like someone said to me, "Why do you want to do the podcast?" Well, I don't know. I just decided I'd like to do one, and I'd I'd never done it before, and it was a challenge I wanted to do, and I pressed the button and thought, "Oh God, what have I done?" But um, I had the courage to do that, and you know, I thought, "Wow, I've done it," and it's with anything anything people want to do you try as long as you try and don't let other people hold you back and say you shouldn't be doing it and also yourself because yourself can say oh you know I'm trying to think of that term um, but anyway where you sort of say to yourself well who do you think you are you know trying to do this um, I can't think of the the terminology for it, but it's it's quite good. But well, anyway, let's I say is it comes from a place of fear in a lot of cases. Oh um, yeah, and especially uh, the people who do want to pass judgment, or the naysayers, or the ones that want to bring you down, or the ones like I call them. I call them. They're almost like you know the dementors in the Harry Potter series, yes. where they can, people who can just suck the joy out of anything. Yeah, and. There's people in life who 
will do that and they will suck the joy out of it if you let them suck the joy out of it. But it's their problem. And, yes. and half the time it's coming from their fear or their inability to take a leap or to have a go or whatever. And that's their problem. It's not mine. It's mm. theirs. Mm. So, and that's what, and that's sometimes the hardest thing to remember that what you're getting is being projected onto you from somebody else's place of fear rather than your own place of fear. Mm. 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 And that's also perhaps, you know, like even with, friends and that when you do make changes in your life whatever it is um it's they fear that you're going to change and the relationship with you is going to change or they fear that they're going to feel inferior because they don't have the uh the courage to step out of that comfort zone and do something that they want to do so you're right you know it comes from fear but Look, you know, we're having a lovely conversation here and I do want to talk about your books before we sort of start wrapping up. Got a yeah. little bit of time. But um, so you talk about writing about cosy crime and romance and, and how many books did you say you've written? Uh, there's 12 out there. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I'm currently working on number 13. Oh, no, number 13 is about to go out. So I'm yeah. working on number 14. Oh, wow. That yeah, yeah. Thanked up. Yes. Yeah. So firstly, congratulations for writing that many books. Some people might get a book out. Others might not, like me, might not write one. Um, so tell us a little bit about, um, well, I suppose, what are your, what's been your favourite book? <laughs> That's like asking a mother to choose her favourite child, isn't it? It is. It is. Well, I started writing romantic comedy, I guess, which is contemporary romance. Um, that series was all based in in and around Melbourne. Um, and I've got my favourite hero from those. So my favourite hero was definitely a toss-up between Brad in Big Girls Don't Cry and Richie in Wish You Were Here. They're my favourites. I could easily fall in love with them. Um, but when it comes to my favourite book, I think it's probably my favourite, I, I was, I'm going to defer that for a second. My favourite female heroine is Philly. I adore Philly Barker. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. love Philly Barker. I reckon I'd be quite happy writing Philly stories until the day I drop dead. I adore Philly. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know, Philly is a middle-aged um, antique dealer in Yorkshire. So she's she's an Aussie, but living in in Yorkshire, and Philly's just I don't know. Philly's got a bit of got a bit of gumption, and she's just she's possibly yeah I don't know, but I love Philly. Anyways, um, my favorite book, Escaped Curlew Cottage. I oh think. yes, yeah, yeah. I'm writing the sequel for that one at the moment and struggling with the plot just a little, but Escape to Curlew Cottage, yeah, I think that one got me, pushed me away from some of the contemporary romance, which I wasn't enjoying writing quite as much. And it was all, it was born actually on a holiday we had in the Cotswolds and we're in the cottage that I I did base um, Curlew mm. Cottage. Mm. I remember saying to my daughter, you know what, I could live here and I could have like a little 
little garden out the back and I could sort of live off the grid a bit. And Carly, our cocker spaniel, could be like a proper cocker and go bounding across the fields and getting wet underneath. And Sarah said to me, Mum, that's going to last for about as long as it takes for the path to get muddy and you're not being able to get out and get some more wine. So she sort of put a little bit of a dampener on it. But in when I was writing Kulu Cottage, it incorporated so much of that life that I'd imagined in my head, but also a lot of the baking types of things that I like to do and the best of things like Bake Off and some of those TV shows like Location, Location, like all those things that I love, Kulu mm. in all of that together. Yes, yeah, so I enjoyed I that writing one. It. Mm. Yeah, I loved writing it. I'm enjoying writing the sequel. As I said, I'm struggling, but I did enjoy it. But that's well, I have to say that I really love Philly as well. And what you didn't mention is that she's. It, to me, it's a. Um, what did I say? It's a a cross between Midsummer Murders and Antique Roadshow. If yep. you watch those, and you know, Philly is one of these wonderful women and full of life and does happen to get involved in little crimes along the way and solving them. And, uh, you know, it's, um, I fell in love with her as well. And, and I really do love her as a character. And I always look, I think you've written two now. So I'm, I'm sort of thinking, come on, where's the next one? And also I think, okay. And also um, I might be a bit, biased here but any tv producers out there it would make a fabulous tv series let me tell you anyway enough plugs there um <laughs> but, <laughs> so you know you get a lot of you we, we're sort of coming to the end but you get a lot of your inspiration from your baking your travel your uh things like that don't you um, yeah yeah, and and the one we yeah, and and that's important. I think probably a lot of writers get it from um, personal experience. Mm. I also, um, it's funny actually because they say write what you know, um, but I sort of more think write what you want to know about. So that's really uh, like my voice comes through in my books. It has to. I'm writing it. And I remember writing in the early days when I was writing some of those, when I was writing my first early contemporary romances, I was so worried that people were going to think, because I write in the first person as well, that they were going to think it was about me or that it was people I knew or all the rest mm. of it. Mm. Um, and it's not, it's just that it's my voice coming through and I give my characters careers or jobs that I might be interested in looking or thinking about Um in some of them I've invented little businesses along the way and they'd be businesses that I'd never be game enough to have a go at or get off the road, but it's fun to give somebody else a go at doing it. Mm. And that's sort of where it all comes from. It's not so much something will click and that will be the inspiration behind it. But after that, it's what do I want to learn about? What do I want to know about? Mm. And mm. I follow my curiosity with my characters to see where mm. they're going to go mm. to. Um, well, that's like in Philly. Um, obviously, you've done a lot of work on the antique uh, side of things and investigations because I love the way that it's, you know, not just a cosy crime, but we're learning about, you know, you'll talk about it, an antique piece and describe it and, and, and that sort of thing. So that's bringing in that extra knowledge that you've learned just by your uh, background 
um, yeah, investigations, well, was, I suppose. Yeah, Philly, um, I always wanted to write Philly because I've, I've been brought, my mother loves antiques. Mum always had a, like had some antique furniture and bits and bobs and we're always going into antique shops and mum used to watch all the shows and read all the magazines and had all that knowledge. And I think I picked a lot up over the years from mum. So that's why I dedicated the first Philly Barker to mum because it mm. was, you know, it mm. really, that interest originally came from there. Um, but you do, you pick things up like Whale Bay, which is the next book that's coming out in April is called One for Sorrow. And it's a new cosy crime series or the start of a new cosy crime series set in Southeast Queensland. So it's a completely different set of characters because um, they're very Australian characters. Um, and she's a Clementine Carter or Clem is a jaded lawyer a jaded Melbourne lawyer. She's come to this place, Whale Bay, to claim an inheritance from her aunt, um, who just quietly is one of my favourite characters, even though you never really see her. Um, and it's different, again, because it's got a town of very, very Australian characters in it and it's got a very mm. mystery. But that one was inspired purely because my daughter moved to the Fraser Coast three years ago and I visited Harvey Bay a lot and... This place, Whale Bay, is a combo of Harvey Bay and where mm. I live on the Sunshine Coast. Mm. So the inspiration comes from different places, and I think I'm going to enjoy writing Clem going forward as well. Yes, but yes, definitely. They're two very different characters, two def very different sets of mysteries, and when I'm writing them, I'm in completely different worlds. Different places, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it's been lovely chatting to you today, and I could um, keep chatting with you Thanks. for another hour um, but or, or longer. Uh, but I just want to ask you two quick questions before yep. you go. Now, what advice would you give to those who, they may not be authors, but they've got a dream or a passion and they want to follow it. What, what advice would you give them? Find a way to make it happen. Well, that's simple. But yeah, yeah that's, really that's it. And if if it is if it is writing that you want to do, it might be a memoir, it might be journal, it might be the start of a book. Write what's in your head and get it out. Even if it's just, if you think about it, if you write a thousand words a day, which is really only about three full cap pages, it's not that much. Um, by the end of two months, you've got a first draft of a book, mm, mm. and you can sort of work around with that. So you start little, but you just start. Yes, and um, that's the key, isn't it? Just get started and if you really want it badly enough, you will make it happen and you'll find the time to do it. So, okay, my last question to you, and I've had a lot of questions for you today, but uh, the last one is one that, you know, I always finish the podcast with, and that is what does being a woman living well mean to you? It means use it or lose it essentially <laughs> it is for me it's all about moving whether it's moving physically moving mentally it is about moving and following your curiosity that is living well to me is being able to follow your curiosity being free to move to learn to do whatever it is that you want to do that's living well Love that because I agree with that as well. So anyway, thank you, Joe, for joining me today. It's been lovely having you as my guest and uh, talking about you 
finding the courage to change and follow your passion. Everyone, uh, be sure to look out for Jo's books that she's already written and also for the next one, which is uh, set in Whale Bay. Uh, that's the one I was mentioning before that I, you know, really loved. And, uh, you know, so look out for Jo's books and uh, make sure that you get in touch with her and let her know what you think about them. And uh, I wish you all the best, Jo, in your um, full-time career as a writer. Thanks, Sue. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed that chat with Jo. And not only because she's a friend, I thought that she had some really good, wise information and tips for everyday life in finding courage to change and to follow your passion no matter what it is. I would encourage you to check out Jo's books. I've enjoyed all of them and highly recommend them as a great read. And uh, so I'm putting all her links in the show notes. So have you got something that you would really like to do? You know you want to do it, but you might be a bit scared. Just do it. What did Joe say? Find a way to make it happen. That's it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed the uh, chat that we've had with Joe today and I'll see you next time. But until then, remember to live well, enjoy life and most of all, be a woman living life your way. Bye for now.